I am Sean Michaud, and this is Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. This week, we're joined by guitar professor Sean Michaud. Professor Michaud has been teaching here at Berkeley for over 20 years and is himself a graduate of Berkeley College of Music. He's an absolutely face-melting metal and fusion guitarist and has released five albums with multiple bands. His band Event has been signed to the record label Inside Out alongside Devin Townsend and Dream Theater. Sean's also a prolific producer and engineer. Having worked with the classical music label Parma, he has more recording and mastering credits than you can count. He's also written music heard on movies such as November Criminals and Movie 43, and on TV stations like the History Channel and CW. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Sean Michaud. Hi everyone, I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley College of Music and welcome to another Coffee Talk. Um, as usual, we're hanging out with Cheryl Bailey, assistant chair. Hey Cheryl. Coffee cheers. Coffee cheers. Uh, our senior coordinator, Ian Steve. Hey Ian. Hey y'all, how's it going? And our guest today, for coffee is Professor Sean Michaud. Hey, Sean. Hello, hello. This is great. Thanks for coming. Oh, no problem. So Glad the first to be thing, here. First thing everybody wants to know is, um, do you drink coffee, and how do you take it? Yes, I do, and uh, I get uh, my my latest coffees are uh, cold brew, black. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Is that a seasonal thing? No, all year. Zero degrees, cold brew, black. <laughs> yes, iced coffee all year round. I yep. love it. Yeah. When did you start doing that? Were you did you always do cold coffee all year? Um. Well, when I was young, like you know, college, I actually never even got into coffee. I but I never like you know, uh, people would drink tea and stuff. I would never drink hot beverages, so I'd always had iced tea or stuff like that. So when iced coffee started becoming a thing at Dunkin' Donuts. I was like, hmm, I'll try one. So I tried it and it was like quite good. So I, I was like, I like it iced. I don't really like it as a uh, heated beverage. So yeah, I've been to, uh, yeah. So ever since, basically since Duncan had iced coffee, I've been doing iced coffees. That's great. So are you a local to the Boston, New England area? New England, yeah. I grew up in uh, in Maine, so uh, Dunkin' Donuts was always around us. Um, it you know it comes from the days of the commercials, time to make the donuts, where the totally. you know, yeah. So and uh, my my dad's uh, he's a retired uh, uh, Maine state policeman, and so in, in the middle of the night he would he would uh, grab donuts when they were first made, you know, like at the you know because they used to make them in the stores, like they did make them fresh. They didn't deliver them. They made them at each location. There weren't as many, and uh, he he would bring them home like yeah maybe once a month or something like that. And be like oh dad brought home donuts tonight. <laughs> You'd wake up and they'd be sitting on the counter. There's nothing like that. When they make them and then you eat them right away. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I met the Dunkin' Donuts coffee guy one time when I was a kid. Really? 
Yeah. Do, do you all know that what Sean and I are talking about? There is this really well-known guy. I'm sure you on YouTube can find the ads. And he would get up in the commercial and he'd be like, time to make the donuts. Yep. He'd be half asleep. It'd be like in the middle of the night, you know, and they had different scenes. And that was this thing, time to make the donuts, like this big thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, Sean, tell us about when you, you were a Berkeley student, right? And then a faculty Correct. member. And yep. so you've had a couple different first days and that's on the minds of a lot of people listening. Um, yeah. They may be, you know, we have people who are have their first day, but we also have a lot of people coming in in the, in the fall that are going to have their first day on campus. And so yeah, yeah. are there things that stand out to you that you remember about either your first day as a student or a faculty member or, or both? Uh, yeah, I got both. Uh, so uh, 1993, that was, uh, that was the year uh, I started Berkeley as a student. So I, I graduated in nine, the summer, you know, summer 93, started the fall of 93 at, at, uh, in Boston. And, um, I, yeah, <laughs> so the whole thing, my parents dropped me off and my dad's like looking at me in the, in the, in the room and he, and he looks at my mom, he goes, this is just, this, this is so wrong. Like leaving me in Boston, like they just, leave, you know, so I, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of parents that if they do make the trip with their, with their, uh, um, with the students that are, are entering, uh, there'll probably, <laughs> probably be a lot of that. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't want to leave. <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah, they left. I kind of set up my room, my dorm room, and then I spent a week standing in lines. So I don't think that's a thing anymore. But back then, that was a thing. So it was like one line to the next line to the next line. Sign up for your teacher, big long line. And this, so the sign up for your uh, guitar teacher line literally went from the fifth floor all the way down the stairs all five floors like out to the front of the building i think i think it was that long i think i remember standing in a very long line that snaked up the stairwell the main stairwell in the 1140 building um to the fifth floor of the 1140 um yeah yeah wow and, uh, so 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 yeah um and and the discussion then uh, I mean, this year we have, you know, obviously the COVID vaccinations, but uh, the issue then I remember talking with a number of students, they're like, oh, they won't let me go anywhere because I didn't get my uh, uh, measles vaccination. So they were they were requiring. So so there was that back then. It was measles, not quite as uh, uh, <laughs> not quite as uh, as as impactful as the current situation, but uh something a little bit, you know, mirroring, I guess, you know, um, let's see what else from that first day. Yeah, that was that that first night was really strange staying at, at the you know like sleeping in the dorm room and uh getting up the next morning and and everybody was like super nervous. Like so you're standing in lines with everybody. That's the one good thing about the lines is that you got to hang out with uh, uh with with your peers and meet a lot of people that you might not have met. Like you would meet people at classes of course, but um you know 2 3 hours standing in a line, you know, you're talking to like, you know, the 20 people in a line in a row but around you, you know. So um so that was kind of good we guess kind of a, a, a you know social uh, you know way to break the ice or whatever like isn't this line ridiculous you know so that you can break the ice you know uh, it wasn't like you know like what do we talk about so <laughs> <laughs> so Sean who is your first teacher that you got after waiting Joe, okay so this is this is kind of funny it's it was Joe Rogers and I took lessons for four semesters with Joe Rogers in the same room I currently teach in now 5T with Joe Rogers. He's With your Joe roommate. Rogers. Whoa. 
Okay, what does that feel like? Well, that was well. It, yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, it was at first. It's not now because I've been teaching for twenty plus years. But when I first started teaching there, I was like, "Well, this is a weird experience." <laughs> yeah. So, yep. So Joe Rogers, um, I I had him for uh, I took him for four semesters at Berkeley. Um, great teacher, fun fun lessons. You know, learned a lot. Wow. So I have a question about that. So when you were a student, did it ever cross your mind that you might teach or that you would want to teach and maybe want to teach at Berkeley? Or was that not in your mind yet? And didn't even enter my thought. Like I thought I'd be a rock star. That was, uh, mm -hmm. that was what I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, I found a band, uh, we, we, uh, we formed and we actually still perform now the same, same band members. Um, we currently do stuff. We do live live stream concerts and stuff from a, a venue that my, my drummer manages. So full lights, everything. Um, and, uh, we put out music. We have like YouTube channel and we have it, it's out on, uh, you know, so, so that band, yeah, we, we thought was gonna, you know, we, we didn't do too bad, but we sort of hit a wall and then we hit, you know, the sort of, uh, band members want to get married and have kids and those things. Right. And so nothing will kill a band more than, than, than not being young and like impervious to not sleeping and, and like having any sort of outside life. So, you know, we did the touring in the van thing for a little bit and we had a, an indie label record deal. Um, back when, you know, record labels would give bands sort of like development deals like that doesn't happen anymore. Um, but so, so we, we put out three records on, on Inside Out, which is actually the label that Dream Theater is currently on right now. So we got to meet most of them because they were doing side projects on that, on that label. So, you know, we, uh, we met with, you know, a couple of the, the members of Dream Theater during the time that we were, you know, touring and stuff like that. So there was some connection there. Oh, cool. but, uh, what was the other part of the question? I might so, have deviated there. <laughs> no, I think you came right to it. So then yeah. after, when you did start teaching at Berkeley, what was that first day like? Um, I So I had been uh, teaching five week just uh, that summer. So it was like the third summer I taught five week. Um, and I got a call from uh, Rick Peckham and I was actually uh, working seven days a week at a recording studio at the time. Uh, I was like the... I think at the time I was like second engineer there by that time. Um, and it wasn't a huge studio, but it was a, a decent size one with a, a big uh, 48 channel Neve console, two inch tape, uh, the whole deal. Uh, that's what I'd gone to school for. That was my major too, was MP&E. So I was, I was um, you know, I was doing that and I was only teaching five week during the summers. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'll do the five week in the summers. It's, it's fun. Um, that's sort of where I got the idea that, oh, maybe teaching might be, might be a good, you know, might be good. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I got a call from Rick Peckham and, uh, he said, yeah, we we're hiring another, uh, rock teacher this, this, uh, fall. Um, would you be available? And it, I was completely caught off guard because I wasn't expecting it at all. So I didn't even know what to say. I'm like, I'm working seven days a week at this place. I'm like, what am I going to, so I said, can, can you give me like a couple hours? Like, you know, <laughs> I said, I don't want to say, you know, I, 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 I need to, I need to like, you know, so I, I talked to the studio manager and, uh, and he said, yeah, you, you should be fine. We'll, 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 you know, we'll rotate your shifts to other days and you could still work here and, and you could do those. So I called him right back. I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And, and he's like, great, this is great. So, um, in the summers, the traffic wasn't quite as bad. Um, and so that, that lever it circle thing that had not been made yet. 
Um, yeah, it was before that whole thing. So this was like you go straight over the Tobin Bridge and take this precarious five lanes across, like, you know, five lanes of traffic uh, right to get to Storo Drive to get, you know, that was like that big. Uh, so there wasn't that nice, neat little, even though it's all traffic still, but it's at least it's a neat lane setup, you know, where you can get off to Storo Drive. So in the summer, that was not so bad. I get there first day in the September and fall. I left myself three hours to get to Boston. I was late for my first day teaching. <laughs> and so I'm, I like come running up the stairs and, and Larry sees me and he like, he could see that, I, that I'm like, I, I, I can't believe I'm late for my first. I like, I planned for this ahead and it was like the craziest situation. Uh, he goes, no worries. Your first student didn't show up. He was a no show. Uh, he probably doesn't know the campus or whatever, you know, uh, they set me up in my room and then it was fine. It was like, but, but wow. Like that was, I was like, Oh, what a great first impression. I show up late for my first <laughs> day of teaching. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I transitioned into teaching quite, uh, quite quickly. I had, um, that year I'd had some articles, uh, in guitar magazine for Japan because they, uh, I had, we had a pretty successful record in Japan, uh, in, this, this was like, 99 or 2000 somewhere around there 2001 um so so i had a lot of students who had seen that article and they'd asked for me so that was kind of cool so uh so basically we just worked on stuff i'd i'd recorded you know that whole semester most of them were interested in working on that um which led me to you know my whole uh you know, system of analysis that I teach now kind of started right there was like, was, you know, going through analyzing what I had done and then backtracking to all the things I'd ever learned. I'm like, well, I never really analyzed anything I learned. I sort of just learned it, played it. It's like, I knew what scale it was, but I'd never gone into an in-depth analysis of looking at things from this way, this way, this way, every way I could think of. Um, and, and that was what started that, which, you know, it has made me a much better musician than I would have been had I never done that, never started teaching, never, never done that. So I always tell my students to pursue teaching and the idea of like, how would you show somebody else what you're working on? The act of thinking of that makes you memorize what you're doing at a level that you would never have done before. Um, so, yeah. That's really cool. I mean, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that and maybe share a few more examples about the way that teaching made you think about what you do differently and how maybe if there's an example where you could talk about that in your teaching, but then also tell us a little bit about the way that you think it really affected your playing in a specific way. Um, well, I'll start with the last part. It affected my playing a lot in that when I used to write creatively, um, or, you know, and, and I, over the years I've written, um, it's always creative, but um, there's creative for my band, which is a separate set of parameters, which is more open. There's always parameters on everything you write. Um, whether you realize it or not, you're never free to just be, let's do whatever. Like, you know, uh, in, unless you, you really, uh, there's always some parameter there. So some of the parameters were my band. Some have been for like, you know, TV commercial I did. There's, there's very strict parameters on those things or televisions and spots where I've done like throwback songs that sound like Duran Duran, you know, they want stuff that sounds like 80s stuff. So, um, so it, all of the stuff that I write, um, I am now, able to like dive in and start composing from a, a standpoint of having 
some sort of a system to work inside of, like, because there's always parameters. So you can be more creative by having this set guideline because you're like, okay, well, I can only do this, this, and this, but how can I unlock creativity, but still stay inside of these parameters, whatever they may be. Um, there's a lot of them. It could be that your parameters are, it absolutely has to be 4-4. Four, four. We're not going to do 6-8. We're not going to do odd time signatures. We're not going to do 3-4. It has to be 4-4. Four, four. So that, that could be number one, right? So super, super very, you know, um, and, and having the parameters actually gets me out of writer's block. You know, the idea of that, you know, uh, I don't know what to do. Well, when I used to write from my band, going back to that beginning part, it was kind of wide open. I'd sit down with my guitar, sit down with the piano, and just like basically bang on stuff, you know? <laughs> it's like, what is it? Okay, that's cool. I like that. Let's say, and it took forever. Um, it's, it still takes me a long time to write, but now my concept is I have something I want to shoot for, a general like set of parameters I want to be inside of. And uh, so let's say it's a, like, you know, for the song, I finish the song, but I, I want to put a guitar solo in it. And I say, all right, what, what do I want to do? Well, I, I, uh, I need some more examples from my students of melodic minor to play. So how can I stay inside of the parameters of the song I'm working on, use the melodic minor scale in a creative way, but doesn't sound forced. And so I do that, and I've done that, you know, hundreds of times, and then, uh, I'll, you know, sometimes successfully and sometimes not successfully, but that's uh, either way. So that sort of goes to the second part, and then I kind of forgot the first part again. What was the first part of the question? I, I think um, the, I just found it really interesting what, how you changed by teaching, like how you started to look uh, at yeah. it in a different way because you were... And maybe in a deeper way in some ways, right? Like yeah, how they're yeah. together. Right. So so when, let's say, like, you go from kind of graduation, uh, I learned, of course, all those proficiency tests, all of the things you got to learn, all the scale patterns, all these things. Um, I thought I had it down. You know, I could play all those chords. When you start teaching and you really take to heart something like, okay, um, Let's say like a drop three voicing on the guitar, and you say, "Oh yeah, that's so I got the I get the root, the seven, the three, and the five. I couldn't have spit that out at you that quickly when I I could play the G major seven on the third fret, and that would be the shape, but I couldn't tell you what each one of those notes were that quickly, and then I create a line off of each one of those notes or something. Or so every new way." that I tear apart the fretboard on, specifically guitar, but it could be related to any music because a drop three could be done on the piano, it could be done on any voicing, like, or, you know. Um, so knowing those things to the depth that you know them, you don't really even realize you need to know them until you start, you, you, until you do, and you start, you know, conveying that information to, some, to students, uh, you know, repeatedly every day for, you know, 20 years, and you start, and you, and you think about it and break it down in your mind all those things just you end up learning them at, like I said, at a level that you you really didn't realize was possible, uh, that or that you thought was even necessary. And then you go, well, I I wouldn't be this quick at writing or or working on my craft if this stuff wasn't so automatic. And um, so what I've seen is, uh, I've been able to teach students from scratch using systems that I've created and. I see that they learn the stuff a lot faster than I learned it because 
of the techniques that I employ in order to break them down. Um, and it does depend on, sometimes I switch gears. That's the other thing with teaching is that you also see, you identify ways that you learn and you see the ways that, that other people learn. And then you'll have a good percentage that think like you're, you think. But then you'll have a good percentage that are like, I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't and you're like, hmm, how are they seeing it? So you break it down from their perspective, like ways that they, you, you kind of go, well, how did you connect with, with learning this chord? And well, well I did this. And I, I think of it and I'm like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. Like, so constantly students are teaching me. They don't even realize it, but <laughs> because I'm subtle about it, like I'm, you know, I, I don't make it point out like, oh, I didn't know that. I just, I look at that. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to remember that one. And, and, and then, and then I, I integrate that into my way of thinking and then I'm able to, when I present how I think of stuff, like alternate ways, another couple of ways, that you, or you could look at it like this, or you could look at it like this, and then they, you know, and then it's sort of one of them. You could see, you could see a light bulb usually, and you go, oh, that's that's how it works. Okay, so I'm going to go with this method of teaching. So, um, and all that stuff again, it it comes back to my own creativity because that's that in itself is creativity right there is identifying different pathways of, uh, of uh, conveying information to, to someone else. And that's what, what teaching is, is, and having them kind of give it back to you. Sean, you've spent a lot of time in the studio as well as yep. a producer, and not just as a recording artist for your project, but also producing and engineering a, yep. lot, a wide range of projects in many different styles. Uh, yep. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and maybe how working as a, you know, really with your ears in that way um, also influences your playing. It must have an impact. Oh, it does. Absolutely. Um, the great thing about being in the recording studio is getting exposed to music again that, so I kind of, when you go back to, to music that like everybody has, for, and I don't know what the reasons are for this, but everybody has things that they have a knee-jerk reaction to musically that touch them immediately. And then other stuff, maybe you can learn to appreciate, and, and, but it's not, it's not you or whatever. Um, so you have that. So it got me past that idea of like accepting only things I have a knee-jerk reaction to that touch me. Um, and I found that when I dig deeper, which means I had to like engineer a project, right? In a style that I was not, that wasn't necessarily near and dear to my heart. Um, it starts becoming that because I start getting into it to the point where, all right, well, what, what makes this, this music work? What's going to make this mix work? So produ production and engineering, right? Um, like how do the drums react in a, in this style? How how is the guitar supposed to react? How are the balances supposed to interact with each other? How much ambience is supposed to happen in this style? What is it? What effect does that have on the listener psychologically? It makes you listen at a deeper level uh, to everything. So there isn't a single thing that comes on uh, on as far as like I don't want to say the radio because I don't really listen to the radio, but let's say anything that that I listen to at this point. Uh, and that includes uh, watching TV and movies, and I, I, I'm just a lot of times taken out of the movie because I'm like taken with the film score. So I don't know if that is a musician thing, probably, but uh, I'll list, be listening to the score and I'll be like, man, that's brilliant. Like, <laughs> I'm listening to the sounds and the, and the, and the orchestration and, and uh, how, it, how it fits with the scene. Uh, so at every uh, step, 
I am listening at that depth. I'm listening to, and I can't listen to everything at that level. So you, you end up picking something you're drawn to. It's like you're you're drawn to a melody. You listen to that and analyze how that's working. Um, so kind of going back to working with. Uh, you know different styles so you know we had a lot of country acts come in to the studio that i worked at and i was never really into country but then watching pedal steel players come in and watching uh you know guitar players that played different styles uh coming with tellies uh and and uh different guitar sounds and how they're how they played and i'm like i for a minute sat down and tried to play one of the lines this this other guitar player was playing and of course you know i have a lot of technique but it's very style specific and I tried to sit and play what that other player was playing and I went I feel I feel like I'm playing another instrument like I, I literally I don't I can't I feel like like a beginner like I like you know it's laughable like it's it's that far away so it's it's a it's a great humbling experience when you when you see even that's my instrument right so think of it from from other instruments like you know something so so out there is like a pedal steel where you have a, a slide and you have to position that perfectly in tune. And then you have these pedals that control uh, the pitch, you know, in a chord up or down. Like just the sounds that can be created from that instrument just are mind blowing. Uh, and I'd watch these players do that in the studio. And it was all of that. And then walk over to something totally different. I work for a, a classical label. And so uh, watching like uh, concert pianists uh, as a, so I did those as a, as a, not as an engineer, but as a producer. So I'm like reading scores and uh listening to the takes and uh and and later i would i would be the engineer on those projects because i would edit them so uh so so we'd have um uh, uh the ones that i produced were were over in uh, roslindale at a big um a big studio there a uh, great big room with one of the most i can't remember it's uh futura studios futura um and they have one of the uh uh I guess one of the like most famous grand pianos around in this area at that that lives at that studio, uh, so much so that it was sampled by a big sampling company. They came in and and sampled that 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 piano. Um, but uh, so we do chamber music there, um, and so yeah, I'm like like I said, I'm reading scores. So again, I'm looking at a different level, a totally different style of music, um, and and listening to um, all of the uh, it, and I had to really listen to the musicians too as they talked about would talk to them about their performance um, uh, and say uh, you know because I was producing them. Uh, not knowing the ins and outs of how a cello works, of how you put, you know, the things that they face uh, as far as like, and then they're talking about like, well, when I play really high, you know, the pitch, it, it, it's hard to get this pitch because the the the, the distances are, are, are fractional at this point. So the dis difference between a uh, perfectly in tune take, uh, they sounded great to me, but the player was like, let's do it again. So we'd go in, we'd do it again, and you know what I mean? So, and then we'd mark them all down, we'd mark up these scores, and then I'd take them home to my studio here, and i edit them and work them together, and then i send out the edits, and then i get notes back from uh, all of the players. Sometimes the players, uh, sometimes only the composers would, would have notes, but sometimes if the players were very uh, connected um, with the piece, they, they would have notes as well, depended. Um, so, so yeah, so the style of doing classical music, um, I was not that great at using reverbs in rooms and things like that before I started engineering classical music. Um, and that came out of necessity because we would get stuff that 
we record all over the world. And I would need to make one room sound like another room or make it sound like it was in the same place, like they were playing together. And so I developed techniques that I, uh, I didn't even realize I was lacking. <laughs> so, so again, this happens with, with playing styles outside of your style, outside of your genre. So yeah, if you work on, on techniques and things, they just, it, it just creeps in. And um, I always tell my students that's a great way to create a new style is to be over here, over here, over here. Um, if you're only listening to one player... And that that's fine. Now you can have a favorite player, but uh, you, you're going to have only one dimension to your to your outcome of your playing. Um, players that have been most influential in the world, musicians overall, have been able to, I guess, reinvent certain style. Like it's or re, you know rediscover, reinvent, like mash it up with other things. Um, I could think of a you know a handful. I, I remember hearing an interview with Dave Matthews Band back in the uh, the '90s, the late '90s, um, and they said their first rehearsal was it sounded like a mishmash of like everybody stepping on each other from all these different styles, completely different styles. Um, eventually, they figured out how to marry these things together. And that became a brand new sound for the signature sound for that band. Uh, and this happens countless times for, for uh, different genres of music getting married together and creating brand new styles. So I think that's where the future of music is, and I encourage that. With, uh, and, and that's where all of the studio stuff, all of these things come into your overall musicianship and awareness of, uh, of, of um, what you're doing. If, hopefully, that, hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> Yeah, it makes it so interesting to hear your perspective. Um, I had a period of about three years where I was a producer in the same way, mostly classical music and jazz. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering your perspective on something we hear a lot, Cheryl and I hear a lot yeah. from students who are saying, oh, well, I'm going to be music production and engineering. Yeah. I don't really need to play my instrument. And my perspective was always the opposite. I know people have different thoughts about this, but... Yeah. I don't believe, number one, that I would have been hired in the studio if I wasn't a great player and working on my playing. And yeah. I don't think I would have been as successful, especially when it came to styles, it might seem ironic to people, but that were not my own. I felt like the only w reason I had a chance at producing a jazz record um, or a klezmer record or whatever mm. else we were doing was because I could really listen deeply and I had learned to do that by practicing as much as I did on, on my instrument. So I'm wondering what, what you think about that concept of, I don't have yeah. to play because I, I'm gonna be a producer. I, I did hear that when I was a student as well. Uh, and I had several friends that were of that mind. They're like, what are you doing practicing all that much? You know, like you know, we're, we're an MP&E, we're doing, you know, we're gonna be producers, engineers. Um, some of the greatest producers and engineers are incredible musicians. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people that are just know the basics of playing piano or something or the basics of singing and become great engineers and producers. It's not not that that's that doesn't happen, but uh, especially in today's day and age, you kind of got to be able to do everything. I mean, at this point, you actually got to become a videographer. You got to be able to edit your videos. You got to be able to, to, to make videos. Um, you got to be able to, 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 to be, uh, uh, to, to do your own promotion. You got to be able to do everything. It's like, you got to be able to record. Um, so, so I think 
that that it's it's super important to at least have one instrument that you're really good at. Um, uh, so I'll give you an example. I mean, I wouldn't even have gotten the gig of uh, doing the engineering for uh, Parma Recordings, which is my friend's label, um, the, the classical label. He was kind of... Uh, he auditioned me without really letting me know he was auditioning me. He's like kind of, he's, you know, even though we're friends and he knows I'm a great engineer, uh, he, what he did, he said, well, I need an engineer to do what I was doing, you know, these, these, these sessions and, and editing. He said, so I know you're great at editing and everything. Um, can you read this score and edit this piece for me? And so this piece of music was one that they had already scrapped and I didn't know this because um, there was a, uh, a couple of very bad errors in the production during during the actual producing where uh, some uh, I don't remember the specifics but let's say let's just use this as an example every time an A natural went by it was actually supposed to be an A flat I think was the something of that nature so uh, I, I'm going through the piece, I'm, I'm editing it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, something doesn't look right. So I'm basically, I, I edit the piece, and then I send it to him, and I said, I said, this is the best I could do with this, but all your A's in the piano part are supposed to be A-flats. And, and and then he uh, he emails back, and he goes, he goes, you're hired. <laughs> so so basically, the, my ability to read a score, hear it, and note that that note was not correct, and other there was more errors than just that one. I had I, I notated all the errors I found in it. Um, but that was the main one that, that totally sank the piece, I guess, that they couldn't release it because they had to go back and re-record it because nobody caught it at the session that this happened. So, uh, you know, and this was when the company was, was just up and starting. So he was starting, he had a one office uh, rental that he was renting um, with two employees, and he was adding me on. That was it. He had... Uh, uh, one, one uh, sort of executive producer and then one person that was sort of his assistant. That was it. And he was doing everything. The company now is in a fairly large building that they rent out in Hampton, uh, New Hampshire, and uh, is uh, a multi-million dollar company with a couple of Grammys. I think a couple. It might be just one, but a couple. A bunch of Grammy nominations um, and I think like 25 employees like more, maybe even more than that. Um, so, so we're, we're talking, you know, uh, that's kind of aside from, I guess I, I was going off the rails on that a little bit, but it's a, uh, uh, just again, I, I, I teach this in my career class. I use, you know, my friend's example of building something from nothing and finding uh, a place where, where nobody's filling that need and nobody was filling what he was offering, which is access to, uh, uh, or, uh, mainly to uh, he did or you know like chamber music, but his his thing was finding access to to huge orchestras, which he has now access to in the Czech Republic, uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, and a, a number of other places around the world that he records. And his first couple of years in 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 doing that, he was on a plane more than he was at home. <laughs> 
So he was like flying around. Yeah. So, but anyway, that was my audition for that. And I didn't even know I was auditioning. I thought I was just going to edit it and he'd be cool with the edits. But, uh, but I, you know, he wanted to know the, the score was correct. So, so, and, and that became a thing. Like we would, you know, basically my, my ability to be able to seek out and find these notes and then eventually figure out a way with some various software to fix some of these things. I remember one of them, uh, I ended up fixing this high B flat or something that uh that that it was out of an orchestral piece so it was in every single mic like 30 mics this one note and they only had one take of it clean but the trumpet player didn't play it was a half step too low and nobody noticed it during the session and so i was able to basically figure out a way to delete it from the master recording and then fill it in with a sample and get it to match everything to everybody so it didn't stick out um, and, uh, again, skills that were developed out of necessity. I don't even know how many people would know how to do that. Uh, I just like kept trying until I figured out a way, <laughs> a way to fix it. But yeah. I, I think there's a lot in what you've said, um, in sort of, I mean, even if you go back to the beginning of the conversation, yeah. like you had this idea, you were going to be a rock player. You're going to be, yeah. you're going to have your band. And then you had to build from there your whole career years and years later, but based on all the skills that you developed. Yeah. And, and so much of it comes back to your fundamental skills on the instrument and your ears and your knowledge of yes. music and then how you can apply these things when certain things are needed. And so I think it's good for students who are listening to hear like, don't box yourself out, like become right. really good at your instrument because it leads you to everything. And, and I, I think that so many things you said that I relate to that, you know, when you feel confident on your instrument and in your musicianship, you feel confident telling people, you know, I don't think you're ready to be in the studio today. Yeah. I don't uh, think you're gonna have to do this again. If you, yes. the more confident you are, or they come in, they take a break, they come back and something about the room has changed. Yeah. And it changes very subtly but you might not hear it. And then you have to be the one to tell them you have to do this all over again, because, or you have to keep what you did in the morning because now we're in a different sound space. And if you're not, if your ears and your playing aren't, aren't yeah. on it, it's hard to make those judgments for people. And then later they'll go home and they're not in the moment and they hear it and they're like, oh, we can't use this. We, we actually had a session. It was... A very, uh, I produced this session from a trombone player, um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. I could look it up. But uh, this trombone player had been on pretty much every major movie you've ever heard uh, in, 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 that was recorded in L.A. for a film score. Um, so if there was trombone in it, he was first trombone. Um, and so he contacted the label and wanted to do this solo record, which was written... Uh, very virtuosic, by the way, uh, written f for him by his one of his composer friends. Well, that happened, what you just described. He has super confidence. You, you got to be like on your game to show up at a, you know, L.A. session on a soundstage. Um, you got to be first time and you got to sight read the stuff. You know, that's that's that was his gig. Um, so he came in and he had practiced this stuff down, but then he didn't realize like, wow, like how really until he heard it back to re listen to it, how 
difficult and exposed what he was doing because it was solo trombone and uh and that was it he all he had to sort of like give him a little cover was this large room that we recorded in so he had a little bit of of a, of a blanket that that would you know you know help him a little bit but uh so so we ended up having to do a second day of of sessions um and then again the you know that we didn't match the mic placement exactly so i had them to put takes from both days in together and fix how the how the reverbs worked so that they <laughs> so that they matched exactly uh so but uh but yeah and and and, and he had a tough time that day that was more of a uh, more of a psychological production day, like as in like working with with people's emotions and things like that and their feelings, because music is very emotional. And 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 maybe, uh, like you said, maybe you go out for lunch and you come back and you're like, okay, I feel better. I'm a little more I, I and focus. And then and and then you know you can get takes after that. Um, so many so many things do play into that. Um, uh, bands. I remember bands in the studio. I saw that constantly. We'd, we'd try to do a take in the morning or something, and I would see it's not going well. Um, and, and typically with stuff like that, we'd, we didn't have a separate producer. They were, you know, bands just booked time at the studio. So the engineer, by default, kind of becomes the producer. One of, you know, it's like one of those things. Um, and, and so I said, well, why don't, we, why don't we go on to a song you feel really good about? You know, let's do that. We get some stuff recorded, got it behind them, and it, and then, you know, oh, okay, let's try that song again. And, and they felt better. They were in a better headspace. And they, they got a take of it, you know. So there, there's definitely a lot of that, um, a, you know, mental uh, thing. And then just to wrap that idea up, I, I know from recording myself that particularly, let's say, intricate solos, I'll do take after take after take. They'll slowly start to get better as I'm recording them, but I still won't be happy with them. Then I'll hit a spot where I'm like, they start to drop off and get way worse. <laughs> and because I know this, because I do this all the time, I've gone through that practice of that, um, I can recognize it when other people are going through it. I could see like, well, that's getting worse. That one was worse. Okay, we got we to gotta move on and do something else. But we figure out a way. So for, for me, I don't have to sugarcoat it to myself. I'm like, I'm just going to move on. This is getting bad, you know. Uh, but uh, for other people, y you have to figure out, is this, uh, is this the type of person who... Some people do respond to this, to just direct, this is not happening, let's move on. Some people respond to that. Others will shut down. So you have to kind of figure out, like, um, how the dynamics of people are working, right? So, so uh, and, and believe me, I've made, uh, you know, great errors in, in judgment over the years on which of which, you know, like, you know, directly addressing no, no, nothing, you know, that I was trying to hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that, being very clinical and going... Hey, let's move on to the next one, um, and, and that was the wrong way to approach it at the time. And it, but it's only in seeing those things where you go, okay, we need to figure out is this the way to approach it? Like, and and the reason I always did it that way is because that's uh, how I work. Like I'm like that way with myself. I'm like, would I say that to myself? Yeah, I would. And then so I would say it to somebody else. But I realize that when you say it to yourself, maybe it's, you know, that you're not getting down on yourself about it. It's, it's, you can, you can kind of say, well, yeah, I'm just, I need to go on to something else. So those are, uh, those are other aspects of, uh, and they, they come into play with teaching too, as well, for sure. Um, Cheryl, what's on your mind? Wow. So much great stuff. Sean, 
that you brought up. I was writing notes and I was like, wait, but then I want to talk about oh, this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, what you're really saying, just about this bigger picture of developing your musicianship. Yeah. Like, you had that ability to read the scores and know that. Yeah. All these things. And, and that is a thing, you know, when sometimes we have students that say, oh, I'm not going to practice because I'm going to be an engineer. And you think about this thing of now, you know, you start out playing, you know, I'm going to be a rock star and you're producing classical records yeah, and stuff like that, that you have that openness, that musicianship opens you up in that way that, and I mean, I think about myself now, I don't really have any experience in what you do with producing and mm -hmm. <clears throat> go in the studio. Right. And I think about the engineer I want to hire. I want to hire you. Yeah. You know, because you've got that huge ears, you've got the technique, the musicianship to do that, as opposed to, I mean, you know, that's who I want because, you know, and, and the engineers yeah. that I have worked with are on that level where they can say, oh yeah, pick that up at the B section or the second measure of that. or And they're not looking at the score because their musicianship and they're tuned into and listening in that way. That's who I'm going to call. I'm not right. going to call somebody who's, you know, maybe just kind of at, at this level of a garage band player <laughs> because they're not going to, you know, I'm not going to get anything done. I'm not going to get anything done. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but it made me think about, you know, conversation I had with you one time where you were you talking about taking, you know, you were taking a Bach piece and showing really, cause you know, you might have students that are, you know, I'm into rock music or, or this kind of, this kind of music, or whatever they get st stuck in this, Right. I'm this there. That's their identity. Not seeing that actually music, music is the identity. The big picture of music is our identity as musicians. And, and so you're talking about, you could take this, this sequence of a Bach piece and show, wow, this is how you could take a major scale and sequence it and develop technique and melody. Right. So that's what I love about what you do is that you have mm -hmm. that, that big picture of musicianship it's universal it's not genre specific absolutely great musician is yeah. a great musician yep right so anyway yep. i just I, if anything you want to share about that in terms of you know how you use pieces like that or other parts of music to to show those universal aspects of music and also the ear thing too is mm. really a big part of that so so yeah absolutely um i i like to draw from any style of music in which uh i i just I, I like to hear fresh ideas and so the thing that i always remember is 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 globally i guess the type of music we're talking about is is 12 12 tone music so there's a lot of music which falls under us dividing an octave evenly 12 times in the 12 half steps that's what it all comes down to um and so how do we do that how do we how do we utilize those steps and of course you you can bend in between those notes and stuff like that you know that's but uh so so melody like when i you know gain a, a an idea about how bach did a sequence i'm like wow i never thought 
to run the notes in this order. Or I, uh, if I hear a, you know, a pop tune that I'm studying, um, and again, pop tune from any era, you know, any time. Pop writers are some of the most skilled musicians that you'll ever run across. Um, and there's a good reason for that. It's because the, you're sitting inside of this very limited scope of what you can work in. So let's say if it's current today, you're going to be in 4-4 depending on what time you're trying to write the song in, what month it is of the year, you're going to have a set tempo, which is really hip at that time, which you're going to stay in. <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works, but you'll see, you'll have a whole slew of songs that get released and they're all the same tempo. You know, 120 BPM is really hot right now, or, or 100 is these type of songs with this tempo or medium tempo. Or... So you're going to be inside of a certain tempo, um, and you're only going to use diatonic chord changes. So for me, when I first was thinking about that and first, you know, kind of working with pop music, and that's not across the board. You, there are pop music, but there is pop music that uses non-diatonic chords, but currently right now, not too much. And from when I've been doing, you know, writing pop music for stuff that I did for TV and film that was supposed to... So very small parameters. So... I said, well, how am I gonna how am I gonna come up with creative ideas with this? So I started just digging through all the pop music that I could listen to and listening to the melodies. And the melodies that I really was drawn to were the ones where I forgot that the chords were going one, four, five while I was listening to the melody. The chords are just there to facilitate some sort of movement. You're not going to reinvent the, 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 the genre. So you can't play. You can do one, four, and five. You could do two, three, and six, maybe. Not all of, not all of them. Probably three or four of them, and that's it. The other thing that, that happens a lot in pop music today, which, again, not across all, all decades and all times and all the time, but generally speaking, is that you have one chord progression for the whole song. The verse Let's say it was one four five. The verse is one four five. The pre-chorus is one four five, and the chorus is one four five. How do I create a verse, a pre-chorus, and a chorus? How do I create a beginning, a middle, and an end? So you go back to Bach, and you're like, mm, that melody, even though it's a sequence of eighth notes that don't stop, the way that the notes move, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to that sequence. You go back to how uh, a, a pop vocal works. And you kind of like, you go through a tune and you say, how does the verse work? All right, in this song, there's a whole lot of movement in the verse, rhythmically, but there's not a whole lot of movement note-wise. It's like two notes. Um, you know, so, and that's it. Uh, so it's a lot of movement rhythmically, so we can add a lot of words. We can add a little more, like, you know, definition to our, our topic. We can talk, let's say a little bit more, uh, and, and we can get away with it because there's, there's not a lot of melodies, two notes. So you got to think about if I'm really got a lot going on with one thing, I can't have a lot going on with all the other things. You can only really focus on they, they've in mixing and in music. Uh, even a trained musician can really only focus on like two things. They say three, but really it's two. And then if you really get down to it, it's like one. One takes over as dominant always out of this little triangle of things that's in your mix, that's in your arrangement. It has to be in your arrangement. Um, and so, so going back again to, to taking that melody, it's like, okay, so the verse has this like really rapid fire, real quick, little syncopated 16th notes. Okay, that's cool. Uh, Pre-chorus, what do we do? Well, how low was our verse? 
uh, it's like kind of in talking range of the of the vocalist. Okay, well, we need to get up a little more in the sing-songy range. We need to have some longer notes. We need to have some higher notes. We need to have it soar. We need to have it slow down a little bit. Where did all the melodies start in the verse? Well, they kind of started on the downbeat of one. Okay, well, the pre-chorus, I think we probably shouldn't start on the downbeats of one anymore because that's going to get really old. Okay, so let's circle back to William Levitt's book, Melodic Rhythms for Guitar. Brilliant example. I steer all my students to it who are trying to figure out how to play rhythms while they're improvising. It's a great book for that because he breaks down all the rhythms you could do with eighth notes, starting with seven attacks per measure. And you're like, well, how could I do seven attacks? Oh, I could do... Uh, and two, and three, and four, and one. So wait for the one to go by, and you you don't you don't play it. So that that comes back to my idea of like, well, how do I not play on one? All right, well, you just let one go by, and you play something. You don't think about like, oh, I, I need to do something that's engineered to to not start on one. You just just let it go by, and then then start your idea. So uh, if you notice across the board, hit songs have this symmetry. It's, I, I think it's by design. I, I think it's by crafting. I think it's by, you know, obviously not everything that's symmetrical is art, but everything that we kind of agree is art turns out it's got some symmetry to it somewhere. It's got, it's got this high point, low point, middle point. Um, uh, you know, if you go to a concert uh, and the whole show, even for, so let's, let's go to heavy metal. Uh, at some point, you got to put in the song that the, the tempo slows down so that even though the drums never change dynamics, we at least have some space between the drum hits so that we feel like the volume dropped a little bit. Because if it's just coming at you at like 115 dB for two hours, that doesn't even sound loud anymore. It's just the same thing. It's like uh, you know construction noise on the street. It's there's no there's 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 no high dynamic without low dynamic. There's no there's you know there's nothing to, to, that's extreme to compare it against something else. It, it, it's it's only extreme if you compare it against something fast. Is only extreme if you compare it against something slow. So when you're slow soloing, it's great. You got shredding away, right? But if you don't have anything that slows down somewhere. It's it's like well okay now it just sounds like a blur of notes I got used to it and it's like that the the virtuosity it keeps your attention for a moment and then it's sort of like slowly bleeds away unless something else happens and so it's sort of the pop music mentality of like uh, you got to work for me to listen for five seconds. And then once you have me for five seconds, you got to work for the next five seconds. And then you got to work. For so that means you can't have a dead five seconds in a pop song anywhere. And by dead, I mean like something where something new doesn't pop in and catch somebody's interest. Um, so uh, that's, that's cool. I, mean, I was laughing, kind of chuckling because it made yeah. me think of a thing that Miles would say. Miles Davis would say, yeah. you'd always get somebody like Coltrane or Dave Liebman. Yeah be his foil so that he could play those sweet long melodies and he would just like let the machine gun come out and like That's take care of that and then i'm going to take him to this other place when but exactly. you know exactly it happens exactly. in all music in that way i Absolutely. guess that's what we're talking about that universality of yes. structure and um you know all the all those elements that make it great are in all all forms of music and and so you can learn about melody everywhere. 
I mean, uh, the the Levitt book I, I was aware of because it was used when I was a student when we had reading labs. Uh, and so I went through the whole thing. I think reading two was the lab. I went through the entire thing. Uh, and to me, it was brilliant. I was like looking at it going, oh, this is like... Uh, I didn't see much difference between that at the time, even then in dream theater, which is what I was really into at the time. That was my band that, you know, back when I was like, you know, 20, whatever. Um, so, so yeah, we got, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. I guess we got, uh, <laughs> if you have any more questions to finish up. Yeah. Um, Ian, what's on your mind? Yeah. I mean, I think about that a lot, like just the contrast, you know, we tend to get, wrapped up in something and i think that that's like a really good takeaway is like a drink of water for something you know the contrast of that actually brightens up what you do in the other side that's like such a good takeaway yeah yeah cheryl what about you what on as we're kind of wrapping up this cup of coffee what's on your mind i don't know sean this is great i mean you you shared such a big you know wide swath of of knowledge with us i mean i'll definitely come back and listen to it and steal from you <laughs> <laughs> fantastic much as i can <laughs> yeah there's, yeah there's actually to... nothing greater to me than somebody else uh, you know hearing something i uh I, i've uh i've said and and they took it to heart and and it helps them um, I'll, I'll just leave you one real quick thing i had a, a berkeley online student that i teach um and uh He's done a series of videos on YouTube where, uh, and he credits me, he talks about me all the time, which is great. He didn't have to, I don't really, it doesn't bother me, but it's just great to see him having such, such success, relaying the same ideas, and a lot of them on what we just talked about, relaying them in his own words uh, in his videos where he talks about them. So it's really cool. I like to see, uh, you know, things like play, my, my playing or what, you know, just the ideas that they, they help people out, you know, gain uh, a, a better perspective on what they're doing. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, if people listen to this and, and if you go back and listen again, like we will, I think it's so nice to remember at the end that in the beginning, when you come to Berkeley when you, or when you start your younger years, you can't see all the opportunities ahead of you. You can't see everything that you can be doing. So all you can do is focus on building the best foundation you can on your instrument, your musicianship and being open and, um, you know, have those conversations in lines and meet people because those people you'll end up working with. And when your friend says, I'm starting a studio, you know, would you come and work with me? Do it and learn how to do that. And because you never know where that's going to go, what that's going to bring to you. And, um, Sean, I think you're, your whole, what you've brought today is such a great example of how exciting that can be. And, and also how challenging it can be as you yeah. build your life, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of good and challenging moments. So thanks for um, yeah. bringing that today. Yeah. Welcome. Cool. Well, thank yeah. you, Sean. And uh, thank you, Cheryl. And thank you, Ian. And um, hope you have a great day, everyone. And we'll be back with you on the next Coffee Talk.